We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hello listeners, wherever you are, and a warm welcome to this Episode 5 of the Highland Bullpen, your baseball podcast. Now you can consign the Black Sox to the dusty pages of history and forget all about court bats, because here at Highland Bullpen, we've uncovered a scandal regarding the 7th inning stretch quiz. You'll hear about that later on, but in the meantime, Alan Cameron, my fellow bullpen bro, has been called out of the bullpen early to co-host with me, because I'm in hot water. Alan, thanks for stepping in, but before we get into this week's show, we need to reflect, I think, on the passing of Chadwick Boseman, the actor who's memorably played Jackie Robinson in the 2013 film 42. It's a a tragically young age for the actor himself to pass away at the age of 43, but it was doubly poignant because his passing occurred on the same day MLB celebrated Jackie Robinson Day. Hollywood actor Bozeman, who also memorably played Black Panther in both the film of that same name and other Marvel Universe movies, did an incredible job bringing the story of Jackie Robinson's arrival at the Brooklyn Dodgers to life. Now, the Dodgers obviously became the Los Angeles Dodgers in subsequent years, spiritual successor to that Brooklyn team, and they currently enjoy the very best record in Major League Baseball. However, I don't think I'll be improving my record in the seventh inning stretch quiz given the controversy around about my miscounting in the last episode. You, you've been ejected from the field of play, Richard, or you've just been in, in footballing parlance, a yellow card? I'm at the mercy of the umpire, Alan, so it's whether Dave Ince has woken up in a good mood or not today. And being a Yorkshireman, I think the, the odds aren't in my favour, to be honest with you. But listeners can discover more during the seventh inning stretch quiz. Okay, so this week in... Bases loaded. We've got a bit of a double play. We're going to have a review of how our teams are performing at this stage in the season. Uh, I would often say our mixed performances, but that's maybe doing several of us a bit of a, a favour. Perhaps only Dave Junior's White Sox uh, are, are getting pass marks now. Uh, our other three teams are performing much as we would expect Scotland's international football team to do on the international stage. We're also going to have a wee look at the controversy surrounding the unwritten rules, uh, specifically regarding Fernando Tatis swinging on the 3-0 pitch uh, to hit his grand slam and home run. So we'll have a look at unwritten rules, considering them across the sports that maybe we're more familiar with, um, primarily around football and cricket, with one or two other things thrown in as well. But fascinating stuff, which we're enjoying as part of our journey on the baseball experience. Well, listeners, this MLB season is, is turning out to be a bit unkind to the bros in the bullpen. As we speak just now, uh, both myself and Davins, our teams are currently propping up 
the respective divisions. For the Mariners, that's less of a surprise, to be honest with you. But I think Mr Ince, who we're delighted to see back from his recent holidays, I think he's got some explaining to do for how his Red Sox have ended up being bottom of the division. Mr Ince. Yeah, so I think in our very first uh, podcast, I think I was right to be, I think I used the word despondent. And then, uh, you know, and nobody could have predicted that they would be have the worst record in baseball. But I think it was widely predicted that they probably wouldn't qualify for the postseason. You know, pitching, starting pitching especially, is really important. And they just they just don't have it. But it's just getting worse and worse and worse, isn't it? You know, the Yankees must be laughing up their pinstripe sleeves, <laughs> you know, because they've won all seven, haven't they, this season against the Red Sox. All yeah. seven at home, but nevertheless. And they've also, they won the last three last season, I understand. So they're sitting at 10 and 0 against the Red Sox. And I think in that series, I heard I heard a, a guy on the radio broadcast who was a Red Sox fan, and he, was, he went absolutely berserk for about 20 minutes ripping into them and just saying how it's just not good enough. Um, a team with the resources of the Red Sox, if they finish with the worst record in baseball in these 60 games, it will be the first time they finish the, with the worst record since 1932. So this is how serious it is. And there were only 16 teams then. There's no... <laughs> Nobody was alive then. You know, I just don't know. I mean... He was really ripping into and saying that this ownership is the best ownership that the Red Sox have ever had. You know, they turn around and they broke the curse and they've won four World Series, but they just messed up last season. I don't, I still don't know what the thinking behind it was. The trade, Mookie Betts, you know, I think they just wanted to reduce their salary bill, didn't they, and concentrate on guys coming through. But it's not working, although, you know, the they are saying they've got some good young players and you know, every team has a bad season, a transition season. But yeah, if you're the Red Sox, you're not allowed to have 280, is it? Less, you know, it's just uh, outrageous. One and nine in the last 10. They won a game the other night, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Dave Jr., the White Sox so far, currently sitting middle of the pack in the, in the American League Central. What's your take on, on your season so far? You're certainly well in contention, potentially for the playoffs. How confident are you? And how much sympathy do you have for Mr. Ince and his uh, rank-rotten Red Sox? Yeah, I take exception when you said we're having some bad fortune within the within the bros <laughs> of, the, of the bullpen. I think this season, again, it's... I'm, I'm considering this almost like my rookie season with baseball and a lot of it was reading and listening and then ultimately watching over the last few weeks. Interesting how quickly it becomes part of your day, either watching the game or, or reading up on the, the previous night's game. But you know, during close season, we added real experience into the lineup. You've got you kind know, of two, which I understand, are reasonably big names in Incarnacion, designated hitter, who we've seen in London. And also uh, Grandal as a catcher. So uh, apparently, you know, the addition of those two, not living legends, but, you know, guys that have done really well, they've got World Series experience behind them, uh, into a really interesting mix of youth. Uh, you know, 
youth over the last year or two, but also adding in a couple of other names this year. Madrigal, Mendic, uh, and superstar-in-waiting, Lewis Robert. But we've had, I think, you know, we're sitting about 14-11 just now. We're currently three up on Detroit at the bottom of the third. Tonight, Touchwood would be a four-game sweep of them. We've, you know, to kind of recap the first part of the season, you know, we are already quite well into the season. We've probably not fared as well against the more established names like the Indians and the Twins. Done really well against the Brewers, done really well against Kansas and against the Tigers. So perhaps bringing it back to the old Scottish football analogy, not doing it perhaps against the, the top teams, but the teams that we should be beating and should be getting results against than we are and, and doing really quite well. I think when you tie into that, the fact that for really prolonged periods of the season so far, uh, again, just going off the top of my head here, but we've been missing two of our starting, uh, of our rotation of pitchers. We've been missing uh, our second baseman, third baseman, right field and left field with prolonged injuries. To still be at this stage of the season, I think we're, we're over 500 mark anyway. I think there was a, an optimism amongst White Sox fans that this year we should make the playoffs. When they extended it to the 16, there was a real feeling if we don't make the playoffs, that's... That's not unacceptable, but it would be really quite surprising, even with with that team of youth involved. But it's been a really kind of interesting few weeks for me. It's been great against some more tough games coming up. But no, the team's looking good just now. Really strong uh, offence. But no, I think it's looking good just now, Richard. And a key strength has been, I know we've talked before, that empty stadiums maybe make it less of a, an impressive start than before. But the White Sox have been really strong on the road. Uh, Dave Jr. as well. They've actually only lost three out of 11 games in the roads. And mm. I wonder, can we read anything into that? Or is that just, is everything at a leveller in a season where you don't have the crowds affecting games? I did hear a stat in the last couple of nights that I think home wins are a little bit down in general across MLB. But I, again, I wouldn't be in a position to sort of comment what's good or what's bad over the last few years. I think in any sport, you're always expecting to pick more wins up at home than on the road. But I think that's probably quite demonstrative of, of the season. If you're picking up a few more away from home, giving, giving away a few uh, at your own stadium, I think it might feel more natural this season than any other. Now, David Ince, for, for regular listeners will know this, but if you don't, David Ince is the, the wily veteran amongst us. He's been a baseball fan for a, a reasonable number of years. And certainly we, we always bow to his knowledge as a man that knows most about the sport among us. But Mr Ince, when you look at Dave Jr. there, who's in his self-confessed rookie season, having made the transition from full-time football obsessive to mixing that with his new love of baseball, does it take you back to when you first yourself began regularly following baseball? Yeah, I mean, Dave knows his stuff, you know, and he's he's well up on the current scene, if you like, you know, especially the White Sox. So, um, you know, I think his knowledge is good. I mean, yeah, it's that long ago. I'm trying to think how I came. I think it was just on our first ever trip to America when I went to Boston and uh, made a point of, going to see the Boston Red Sox because it was it was before Channel 5 live baseball, which came, I think, came online about 1997. And when it did, that was a great program, you know, and I really sort of did get into it then. But 
I, you know, I was, I was, I was learning off the TV, and I, I didn't know the rules. Didn't have any books or anything. I was just following it, videoing the the game. That's how long ago it was. And then watching it the next day, you know, when you got home from work. And I can remember thinking, well, I thought it was three strikes and you're out. But the guy kept, you know, when you when the batter fouls one off, it was counting against the strike count in the first two and not the third. It took me ages to realise what was going on because they weren't really explaining. So it was it was a slow process for me. I think I think Dave has immersed himself in it and really uh, really knows his onions. You know, it'd be quite interesting, Dave, just, and thank you, first of all, that's nice. I, and I totally get where you're coming from. I feel in a nice little White Sox bubble, but then anything out with that is really, and again, that's something to add to over the years where you start reading up on legends, great games, great stadiums, great great players, uh, and great stories, which, again, if we've got any listeners that are willing to share them, that'd be great. And again, just when you're talking about the Channel 5 show, It'd be really interesting to know where people actually catch up with baseball. I'm quite lucky in that I can sit and watch MLB TV and I know that BT Sport and ESPN in the UK provide some games and highlights, but I wasn't too sure. I'm not too familiar with a lot of where to catch the games other than that or or where some of our listeners catch games other than actively searching. Uh, I'm sure that YouTube have perhaps got good access or, or clips or, you know, the MLB website itself but um, it'd be interesting to know anyone listening you know to tweet us so we can know exactly where where you're getting your fix i get the um my sort of fix on bt sport i think it's our sort of internet provider like the play every day don't they you know <laughs> it's an, you know you can take up uh, pretty much your whole life watching and reading about baseball it's uh, it's great <laughs> And like many of us, of course, Mr. Ince is a, a good lady to balance in that front as well, who might not be happy if he takes five hours out of every evening to catch up on his baseball. She you might know, be very happy. <laughs> well, actually, you know, we, we need to share it because the, the season's overlap. Uh, Lorraine is a big NHL fan and Boston Bruins, so we do, uh, we do watch a bit of hockey as well. <laughs> she likes the violent sports. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, no, and I think that bit, and we'll, we'll cover in more depth the kind of the opportunities and the options for fans to to catch up in baseball. I think you're right. There's a number of of good options depending on how much time people have. But I think baseball's a sport that lends itself. You can you can catch up on recaps and get those kind of key moments and the key story of the game as well. But if you get a bit more time to invest, I think you really get that benefit of of that longer baseball experience but I think I think they both work well uh, Dave Junior what do you reckon? I think it's it's quite an interesting point you make not that the rest of them aren't as interesting <laughs> which, <laughs> I think Dave's maybe got more experience when I mention cricket here but baseball feels like a sport you can switch off for a few seconds you can nip to the kitchen put the kettle on or, or go to the bar you don't need to watch every second to feel fully engaged with it you might miss a ball, you might miss a strike, but generally, if you're in the vicinity of either at the game or watching the game, you're not going to miss a whole lot. Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Dave, actually, and, uh, you know, growing up in Leeds within earshot of, of Headingley, I spent a lot of time watching cricket, and of course, they, they play all day there, the test matches last five days, and 
you could, the Americans are amazed that like a game can last five days and it ends in a draw. But yeah, you can you, you can be sat there watching all day, and you find yourself getting into a zone without realizing it. You may you maybe have a newspaper or the scorecard or or a book even, and you find yourself just looking up just in time to see the bowl a bowl, and then looking back down to your article. <laughs> And you kind of do that watching on the TV. I'm almost in the zone of watching the, you know, the, the, the picture and just looking up at the right moment when I'm doing something else at the same time. I think that's a fantastic point, Dave. And it's always struck me that baseball's a game. It's got a fantastic pace and a, a fantastic way of making sure you're engaged at the right moments because if you know the bases are loaded and your team are at bat, that's not the moment you're going to head off for a beer or a hot dog. That's the moment you're going to be absolutely invested in that and that to see if your guy can get that hit and drive home some runs. And equally, if you know you're just one out, for example, away from your first ever World Series after a long time, as with Boston, I bet you there aren't too many of your fellow Red Sox fans that nipped to the toilet at that point with those last pitches going in. Uh, yeah. they have so and that takes me into that wider but I don't think I've been part of a sport which is a better overall experience as a fan to be in the ground than baseball because it's got the natural rhythm you get the excitement but there's just enough time to go for the beers to mm-hmm. chat to your pals to catch up to speak to somebody in the row behind you the row in front of you you've never met and shared experiences, you've got enough time to do all of that. With even American football, which also has numerous breaks in play, they tend to be shorter, or they, you know, like a, a half a half a minute's not long enough really to have that conversation about the game. So, watching baseball at the stadium feels like a communal experience. Yeah, I just I completely agree. You've took the words out of my mouth there. It does feel like a really social sport. What's the tagline again, Dave? Is it America's favourite pastime? America's favourite hobby? Pastime, um, yeah, I think so. But it does, pastime is, is a perfect word. It's, it's absolutely a sport, but you can build in time with friends, build in, make a day around it. And again, it comes back to something that we've discussed before about you know that 162-game season. Fans don't feel the need, unlike the UK, to, to go to every single game across across the season. You might build in five, you know, one, five, ten, fifty games a year and perhaps build it around meeting friends, taking a book or, you know, Dave, you've discussed that before, taking a scorecard and actually scoring the game yourself, which seems to be a bit of a, a skill. Yes. Yeah, it's, um, I, I need to try and get back into that. It's it's more difficult than it looks and um, cricket is very similar there. That's a very complicated business scoring I once heard a guy I'm sure it was in Scotland I was playing and just waiting to bat and there was a gentleman there who was scoring and I was teaching I don't know whether it was his son or one of the players sons about how to score and I remember he started off by saying that I think he was an accountant this guy says accountancy has the double entry method but uh, scoring in cricket is much more serious than that and there's a, a three entry method so you're actually every ball that's bold you you mark it up against the overall score the batter and the bowler so there's something similar in uh, baseball as well so it's quite complicated but um good fun to try 
can download a, a score sheet and, and have a go. Yeah, I think maybe you doing the Red Sox scoring is about the only chance they're going to have of winning some games, to be <laughs> honest with you, David. Yeah. Uh, but I think that ties in again with why baseball is such a fantastic second sport for so many sports fans because you can find the bit that you love about your own sport, your long-term sport, the one you grew up with. And baseball provides those kind of moments, whether it's the the deep investment that cricket gives you and the experience and the scoring and all that, whether it's the home run that replicates seeing your team scoring a 30-yard goal at football. Whatever your first sport is, baseball's a second sport, a, a sport that you can also follow that pretty much is guaranteed to give you some of what you love about sports in the first place. Just when you say about a 35-yard screamer, something that kind of came to mind this week. I don't know if you guys caught what happened. Um, again, I don't quite understand it all, and I'd, I'd quite appreciate if you explained it. But one of uh, someone within the MLB was given a little bit of stick for when he was 3 and 0. He actually went to hit the ball, which <laughs> to me sounds fairly obvious, but he hit a home run. I, I don't know the guy's name in question, but it just seemed to be a real talking point in the MLB this week. Yeah, Dave Ince, I believe, is a man of more experience of the various subtleties of, of baseball. You might be best placed to, to talk about, about that. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, um, baseball, like cricket, actually, there are numerous unwritten rules. And it's, it, it's all about respect, especially that one, was respecting your opponent and respecting the game. So not showing any disrespect and one example is that you know if you hit a home run you're not meant to stand back and admire it and uh, you know milk it otherwise next time you're at bat you will get you will get beamed <laughs> you know absolutely yeah there, there's another one as well which i like as well which is a bit more obvious if um say a pitcher's on a no hitter he's six or seven um innings in um even if it's a tight game where ordinarily the batting team might bunt to get a guy on base. You absolutely would not do that to mess up a potential no-hitter. So that's respecting the game. What was going on with this? I honestly didn't really realise. You know, the count was three, you know, three balls and no strikes on this batter. Is it Tatis Jr.? And uh, yeah, four balls, and you go, you get a free pass to first base, three strikes, and you're out. So, what he did was, um, well, I, I've often thought, why do they not hit on the next pitch? Because they pretty much know what is coming, don't they? You know, that if the, if the pitcher pitches another ball, the guy goes to first base. So basically, their next pitch is usually straight down the middle, fastball, maybe with a little bit off it just to make sure that they're hitting the zone. And that, Dave Ince, would be normally be exactly where a hitter would want it. That would normally yes. be exactly what they're looking for. Yeah, and he's, and he's expecting it. So I thought that the reason why they weren't hitting on it was maybe tactical. And maybe they were thinking, well, let, let's take the next ball and see if we get first base without any problems but apparently it's it's not and uh, I still don't quite understand why that is at any point in the game I can understand it 
at that point of the game, it was the eighth innings. I think they had a seven-run lead. There was only one guy out. And I think he just thought, well, I'm going for this. He's now <laughs> saying that he, you know, and I've heard commentators say before that on a 3-0 pitch, the batter has the green light. And this must be a prearranged agreement with the coach that if you're on a 3-0 for certain hitters, you can go for it. This time round, I don't think he had the green light. And he's now saying that he misread the signal from his coach and just uh, went for it. So, yeah, there's probably more to come on this. It's all very interesting. Yeah, and and it's a bit of a shame because Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres, who's the the individual involved who got himself in hot water, is actually one of the standout stars of, of the MLB season. He currently leads, as we speak, Tonight, he leads MLB in, in home runs with, I think, 11 from 23 games. I have to be honest, I'm sceptical that he misread the signs. I don't think baseball teams look favourably on their players not getting the signs right every time, to be honest with you. But what was interesting for me as well was that both coaches were came out afterwards and, and were critical, saying that's not the baseball we were brought up with effectively, which I thought was nice to see because obviously in football, very often managers just pretend they didn't see a controversial incident or didn't see what the other player had gone done wrong. The, the Arsene Wenger excuses that became known in English <laughs> football, although he's, he's not the only offender. Dave Jr., it was another example of how baseball still has these these unwritten rules, these these subtleties that are understood rather than that exist in, in the rule book. I'm a big fan. When Dave mentioned a few of those examples there, I think the the one regarding the no hitter, I think that's fantastic. You know, that's such a rare possible achievement for so many pitchers. And I think that absolutely stands out to me as a fantastic sign of sportsmanship. And again, bringing things back to Scottish football, where we're so often talk about sporting integrity these days. Um, I think something like that really is wonderful. I, I really do. This one, however, really confuses me. Uh, if the batter was to be 0-2, would the pitcher throw an underarm ball to, you know, to let him off? No. They wouldn't, is it is it the batter's fault that the, the pitcher's threw three balls, three fouls already? No. If we're trying to, to bring fans into the game, if we're trying to light up arenas, if we're trying to make the game a spectacle, and you've got the possibility of hitting a grand slam, which brings my point back to your 35-yard screamer, should someone set that out? And again, these are, these are points that I just simply don't have an appreciation for because of my, my newness to, to baseball. But to me, seeing a grand slam... That's that's something else, regardless of the score. If you're going to get beat, you're going to get beat. I can see that point of view as well. And again, we often, because we are all fans of other sports as well as baseball, we've come to baseball with, with our love of other sports. And Dave Ince, a Yorkshireman, a cricket aficionado, if somebody had hit, let's say a, a Yorkshireman had hit five sixes on a row off a, off a Lancashire slow bowler, for example, how happy would the Headingley crowd be if the sixth ball of the over was rolled along the ground to him? How would the good folk at Headingley react? Well, it's amazing that you should say that because there has been an incident very much on those lines. And 
it, it goes back to 1980, 81. It was a, it might have been the World Cup final between Australia and New Zealand. And it was a three-game series, I think. It was at the MCG, Melbourne Cricket Ground. And to cut a long story short, I think New Zealand needed a six off the last ball to tie the game. Uh, the Australian captain was Greg Chappell, and the bowler was his uh, younger brother, Trevor Chappell. And he instructed Trevor Chappell to roll the ball along the ground so they couldn't, he had no chance of hitting it for six, which he did. And the furore of that, there was, it, it was basically an international incident. I think, I think the New Zealand Prime Minister said something in their parliament the next day. And the, the humorous thing I, I remember about it, I think just about the whole of New Zealand, the weeks afterwards were wearing T-shirts saying Australia have an underarm problem. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing you should mention that because I was just looking that up the other day. I, I remember it happening. But with all this sort of connection with unwritten rules and cricket being the gentleman's game, well, I think, yes, in Yorkshire and Australia, we have different thoughts on some of these unwritten rules. It is ironic that the, the fair go culture which built Australia sounds like it wasn't in evidence in that particular sporting showpiece. No, certainly not. Yeah, so I've got a couple of other sports that, that I'm interested in. Golf, uh, I'll mention quickly, golf is, I suppose, a lot of that's based on etiquette. Um, and, and I guess etiquette is effectively, in a lot of ways, the, the unwritten rules. Although golf has maybe managed that by writing down a lot of the etiquette with, within the rules and fining people or penalising people for slow play. But I, I, some of the more interesting Unwritten rules stories, maybe another of my, my passions is cycling. Um, professional cycling, I think, it, it, it's probably in a way similar to baseball, and it's one of those sports you would look on and you'd think, that's quite a simple sport, there's, there's not much to that. But when you actually follow it or understand it, you think, like baseball, God, that's pretty complicated. I don't don't really know what's, what's going on or what, why that happened. One of the main unwritten rules in cycling um, uh, there, there might only be one, I guess not, uh, is that if a cyclist has an unexpected uh, incident during during a race, uh, so whilst in the, in the peloton, the general rule is that the peloton will uh, slow down or stay with the person who's had a, this unexpected incident. That's normally to cover situations where there's a mechanical issue on the bike. So the mechanical issue wouldn't be considered to do with the professional cycling prowess of the cyclist. So it's easy; it's it's preferable then to say we don't want somebody to lose a race because something's happened with their their chain or their gears or their their brakes or whatever. As a general rule, without getting too complicated in the team structure of a cycling, that unwritten rule would probably only apply to somebody competing in the race as opposed to one of the the team domestiques, and it can't really apply towards the closing stages of a race because you're in a, a live race situation. Um, if, if you ever want a, a bit of a humour on that one, David Miller, great Scottish cyclist, was going to win a stage in the, the Giro one year, uh, and I think it was his chain snapped or his pedal snapped in the last couple hundred yards, 
Um, that's not the funny bit, but tragic for David, but he actually lifts his bike up and throws it over the edge of the mountain as which they were ascending. So that, that's that's quite good. But, but the unwritten rules had a bit of controversy in the Giro 2017 or 2018. Tom Dumoulin, um, Dutchman, uh, Tom was leading the Giro. Um, his unexpected incident was that he needed the bathroom. Um, not uh, and and I'll, I'll not go into too many details of it, but just imagine you've had a curry uh, and a few beers, uh, how you might be in the morning after. Uh, so Tom had to get off his bike. Um, he had to rip his shorts off and he had to do what nature intended him to do. Uh, leading the Giro, he lost a couple of minutes that day uh, and as more of a time trialist, he wasn't expected. He, he did hold on to his lead by a few seconds, but he wasn't expected to see the, the, the Giro out. Uh, Nibali, who was his closest competitor at the time, um, when asked about the unwritten rules of um, holding on for somebody with an unexpected instant, um, fairly bluntly pointed out they'd probably eaten poorly. Um, so he could only blame his own preparations and uh, uh, lack of attention to his dietary requirements. But uh, I would suggest if you try cycling 100 miles a day for 21 days in a row, shoving yourself full of calories as much as you possible, it's maybe not that unique. Um, so the unwritten rules there to protect people, something unusual happening. They'll have controversy, much like we've seen in baseball this week. Um, the good news in that story is Dumoulin actually managed to hold on and won the race on the last day. So um, uh, his little pit stop, shall we call it, uh, caused a bit of drama and maybe now adds to the legend and story of his success in the Giro. Well, it sounds, Alan, like he had the yellow jersey, he very nearly had the brown shorts and he left his rivals with red faces by winning it on the last day. That's a pretty good description of it, I would imagine. Very, very colourful. Football soccer has seen its own share of controversies and, and one that's emerged in recent years has been when a player from one team has been down injured. And the kind of historical idea was that when that happens, the other team would put the ball out of play, allowing the injured player to, to be treated. However, there have been a few examples in recent years where the team hasn't done that, have gone on to score a goal and much uproar has ensued. But what we have seen in football, and I was going to ask you how this might have worked in baseball in that incident with Fernando Tatis Jr., football teams have an occasion when the game kicks off again, and that's the resumption of, of playing football. The team has stood aside, the team that's been the offender, if you like, and allowed the players from the, the wronged party, from the team that's lost that goal, to walk kind of posed up the park and, and score a goal to effectively cancel out the offence now. I'd be interested. I think if you do something wrong in baseball, then the other team will take retribution in you know a baseball manner, which is quite likely the picture. And it doesn't quite often. It's the next batter up who will get hit, and he just has to accept it. <laughs> you know, and this is uh, another un unwritten law. If you do something wrong, it may be your colleagues, uh, teammates. Oh, you're next up and you know you're going to get hit. 
Dave Jr., how would you feel? You're the next batter. You've done nothing wrong. The guy in front of you is in a grand slab homer. Got to enjoy that moment, getting more, you know, four runs batted in, and you know you're just about to get beaten by some 95-mile-per-hour fastball <laughs> by some raging pitcher. Hey, is that not a film raging pitcher? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think you would draw your, your friend a good look thinking, well, thanks, mate, cheers for that. <laughs> It's quite interesting, just on that note, you start to spot a lot of these hitters and they, they do have protection pretty thoroughly around whichever areas is most facing the pitcher. And again, it's something that's new to me. You'll see a lot of the guys wearing ankle supports or knee supports uh, or even all the way up, you know, whatever their, their sort of lead, are, lead off arm is. To come back to your point about could the opposition have allowed the other team to, to walk around, I think with it being a grand slam, you're then talking about four runs, um, and I think it's it's okay in football if you're letting the other team potentially go up the other team unopposed and score. But I think in baseball, particularly in that circumstance, when you had four four scores, uh, that would be pretty hard, I think, to to manage. I, I always think the the injury one's quite interesting in football as well. I've seen extreme circumstances where you've got players who're feigning injury. You know, you've often got teams who are wasting time and then suddenly at the end of the game, the other team's won and you've got, you know, the team that's been wasting time is suddenly looking for, to speed things up. Uh, there's a little bit of karma in there as well with a lot of sports. So I think every circumstance really has to get taken in its own individual merit. So again, I've, I've got no problem with what happened here. Again, I might feel differently in a couple of years. I might feel differently if it was against my team. You don't have to rub it either. That's another... Yeah. Unwritten law, you know, if you get hit, I don't think you will see the batter showing any outward signs of pain. And if that's just another thing, you've got to you've got to take it. For those that didn't know, again, that's an an immediate walk to first base. Uh, again, if the the umpire has, has decided that's been warranted. Don't want to get too obscure here, but um, Brian Close, the uh, sort of Yorkshire and, and England captain from the 50s and, and 60s he was a sort of fearless cricketer and uh, he was brought back in the 70s when you probably you might remember the fearsome West Indies attack and bounces that they were aiming at the English batsmen and they brought back uh, Brian Close to to contend with them and he got hit numerous times and uh, he he just re- but they reckon that the ne- <laughs> This is obviously spurious, but the name of the maker's name of the ball was imprinted on his chest. But no, <laughs> he didn't rub it, he didn't show any signs. And his, his autobiography is called I Don't Bruise Easily. <laughs> Fantastic cricket, a great, a great guy, and uh, all round sportsman. I, think. I have a feeling he played professional football, or certainly could do. And I have it on good authority that he was a scratch golfer. Right-handed and left-handed. He could play right and left-handed. Pretty impressive there. Alan, are you far off being nope. a scratch golfer left and right-handed? <laughs> what I am pretty good at, I guess, is finding myself in situations where I think to myself, I wish I was left-handed. Uh, and if I was left-handed, I would be able to play this shot normally from the tree, uh, from the, the right side of the tree or the wrong side of the tree. So that that's where my prowess would, would leave me. Not sure much about baseball. People obviously left and right-handed hitting is important in baseball. What I do know is you you have a number of golfers who might be 
left-handed but play right-handed. And a lot of that is maybe to do with the equipment they've been given. In, in Scotland, one of our national games is shinty, which is a, a some people might call it a version of hockey. Uh, you generally play shinty as left-handed, so you then have a lot of right-handed people actually play left-handed. I think Mike Weir, the Canadian, or Phil Mickelson, the American golfer, uh, one or both of them might actually be right-handed, but both play left-handed, oddly enough. So I wonder if baseball, if that happens as well, and if any of our listeners know any right-handed or left-handed people who play the other way around. Every baseball fan knows that music means only one thing. It's the seventh inning stretch, and here in the Highland bullpen, that means it's time for a quiz. Now you can forget court bats, you can put the, the black socks to the bed of history and you can give Fernando Tatis a break because the real shocking controversy in baseball this past week was the fact that I accidentally, honestly, claimed credit for an extra run before the last episode's quiz. Now I've thrown myself on the mercy of Quizmaster Dave Ince. All <laughs> I would say is he did say earlier on that scoring in baseball was hellish difficult but now I have to find out whether he's going to show me some mercy or whether I'm going to get a 100-mile-per-hour fastball thrown at my head. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to uh, show some mercy here because um, I think uh, any close analysis of, of some of these questions, um, especially one that I'm thinking back to about the uh, was it the, the triple crown batting question, I think I may have got that wrong myself, so... Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna punish you for that. I, actually, if you're the Scottish Fernando Tatis, is it not Fernando Tatis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his nickname's Minsand. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we start off with Rich, who's in in the lead with uh, three runs? Dave is on two, and Alan is on two, and this sort of section of questions is. On, loosely on baseball terminology, including scorecard notation, umpire signals, which should be great for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we planned us where was those. Yeah. Okay, Rich. What number in the batting order does the cleanup hitter come in at? You probably heard one of the batters being termed as the cleanup hitter. In the lineup, there'll be one, one to nine. The first guy is the leadoff guy. This is where my relative rookie knowledge is going to be horribly exposed. I knew I, knew I shouldn't have gone for a double. Okay, I will guess. I will guess number three. It's very, very close. Um, um, I guess if you think about it, the. Top of the order, as they as they say, the first first batter in the first innings is the leadoff man. His job is to get on base, and then the number two guy, the number three guy, 
also try and get on base, but basically they would try and move the batter on. And then in an ideal situation, one, two, and three might be on base. And then number four, the cleanup man comes in and hits usually a big hitter and hits a, a home run. Well, I didn't so much clean up. I got cleaned out. But thanks for that. That's helped me understand a bit more about the game. There's a decent try, number three. So they, they, they usually have similar, you know, the number five hitter might be a similar sort of guy. They might be the DH who come in after. So they've got two chances at it. Okay, Dave. I'll take a single, please, Dave. So this one is, what is a grand slam? So if you've got men on all three bases already uh, and your hitter steps up and smacks one, crushes one out of the park, it's a grand slam. Home run hit with all three bases occupied by base runnings, thereby scoring four runs. I actually saw one of, one of these in... Uh, New York Mets and oh God, I've forgotten the guy's name now. Um, Valentin, I think. Um, you know what a great occasion it, it was. You know, um, so nice one, Dave. You're on first base. You want to? Is that is that then? Oh, sorry, Dave. It's just for people like myself who are still relatively new to the game. That sounds like it's the biggest single achievement you can have in baseball. Then a grand slam. Yeah, certainly in terms of offense, you know, a, a grand a grand slam would be. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how how rare it is actually. Was that when we were talking about the the incident um, with Tatis? Was that was that a grand slam? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's obviously you've got to you've got to load load them up first, um, which doesn't happen that often. And then for someone to come in and actually. You know, sometimes the pitcher, if if it is the cleanup guy or the DH or someone who can hit home runs, they might even walk in a run to, you know, it, instead of giving him the chance to score two, three or, or, or a home run, depending on the, on the state of the game. It's interesting you talk about, you know, is that the biggest achievement? Again, as someone new to the game, I wonder... As a hitter, if you would prefer that, or if you prefer a walk-off home run, uh, or if you, is there something I've been hearing recently about is it getting the cycle? Um, oh, yeah. I think it's is that in the same game, getting first base, second base, third base, and a homer. Yeah. Um, again, all in, in different at-bats. Yeah, I think that's um, looked on as quite a special achievement because, uh, you know, I think the triple is the, the most unusual I quite like an inside the park home run myself. <laughs> Never seen one of them, but you know. What what could a triple look like then? I'm thinking, well, a really deep, let's say a deep line drive right into the corner yeah. that comes off the wall at an awkward angle. It's maybe a fast, a really fast hit. Potentially an error in there as well. Well, it depends because he might not get awarded um, the triple if. You know, you know, if it's if it's scored as a as a an error, and you might just get given a double or something like that. I'm not okay. sure. Good day, Vlad. You're on first. Are you staying there? Or are you going for a, a triple? 
I'll take a triple. (laughs) (laughs) These are pretty tricky, these ones. Um, I'll stay with Abner. (laughs) If a batsman has a K against his name in the scorebook, but the K is written backwards, a backwards K, or as we might say in Scotland, a backetis K, what specifically would that refer to? Now, I've seen this a few times, um, and I, I really wish that I'd looked it up before now. Um, I'm going to take a stab at it, because I have noticed that back-to-front K, and I know that it's something we've spoken about that people will write in their scorecard as well to signify. I'm going to go for, is it that the pitcher has achieved three strikes and it, rather than the hitter being perhaps caught out? A K would be a striker anyway. So uh-huh. that was K, yeah, it is three strikes. But I thought you were onto it there, Dave. It was a slightly different way. So if you think about how a third strike might happen, mm-hmm. there's two ways, well, at least two ways that, that could happen. Um, and if it's a conventional strikeout, then it's um, a normal K. If it's this kind of strikeout, the third one, it would be a backwards K. And it would show you if you're reading a scorecard, that's the beauty of looking at a score, baseball scorecard. If you haven't been to the game and someone gives you the card, you know, and if it's nicely filled out, then you can read exactly what happened. So if you're, if you're struck out swinging on the last strikeout, then you would get a K, a normal K in the scorebook. If you didn't swing at the third strike and the umpire called you out, then you probably heard the phrase, he was out looking. He didn't okay. swing at the third strike. And in those circumstances, most scorers would put in a backwards K to signify, to show them when they're looking back. Okay. In the off-season, when they're reliving these games, looking at the scorecards, then it would show them that um, the, the batter didn't swing at the last strike. And so that refers purely to the third, the third ball, the third yeah, strike. It indicates that he was he was called out without swinging, called out looking. Oh, that's cool. No, I'm glad. I know you said it was a tough question, but uh, yeah, three run uh, question should be. Um, but it's also it's something that I didn't know, and I, I, you know, it's it's good to learn. <laughs> yeah, it is quite good. In fact, I was I was looking at I didn't know myself why. K was used as um, the scorer's uh, strikeout symbol. And um, I was hoping for a really cool answer, but apparently uh, a well-known scorer back in, I don't know, the 19th century or early 20th century had already used S for sacrifice. So he couldn't use S for strikes, so he just thought, K is the next most significant letter in the word strike, and that's it. I was hoping for a better explanation of that, and I'm sure all the listeners were too, but I'm afraid um, that's what my investigation found out. A fantastic piece of baseball trivia there, Dave. <laughs> really, really like that. I can't help but wonder what he was up to, considering how many more strikes there are, rather than how many times you'd use an S for, for sacrifice, but it must have made sense at the time. 
Yeah, it doesn't bear close examination, that does it really? You know, like a lot of my stuff really don't look don't look too closely at it. <laughs> Now let's see. Let's see if Alan can bring some respectability here. Let's see if he can score a score a run. Yeah. So, which fielding position, Alan, is sometimes called the corner man? And that that position is also sometimes referred to as the hot corner. Okay, that's an interesting one. So I, I'm assuming it's going to be a, a fielding position. The, the only corner man for a batter would be the guy uh, up next on plate. So it must be a fielding position. Um, it's going to be a fielder on the diamond as well. It's going to be an infielder. It's not going to be a, an outfielder. Um, third base, I always sort of think, is it, it's sort of done when you're on third base. You, you tend to get home then. So I'm going to dismiss third base from my options there. First or second base, it's like a diamond. The, the second base is the most prominent part, but all, all the play is surely most relevant on the first base. That's got to be the hottest base. That's where most action is going to happen. Uh, so it's the the infielder on first base. Yeah, sorry, mate, Alan. It is, in fact, the third base man on hot corner. The hot corner. The corner man. That's not the first time you've not made third base, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I think getting on base is a result, to be honest with you, from everything I hear. <laughs> Now I'm going to ambush you, David, here. Well, you'll like, you'll like this bit, I think. <laughs> so three of the bullpen bros have struck out. Not a run recorded this week, but I think a lot of really good questions have certainly helped us learn a lot about the game, and I hope they've helped listeners learn a lot about the game as well. Now, we did get an email this week to highlandbullpen at gmail.com saying to us, how come the quizmaster never gets put on the spot? How come Mr. Ince gets to sit there as the, the god of baseball knowledge? <laughs> Actually, we got together, myself, Alan, and, and, and Dave Jr., and decided that was a fair point. So we are now going to see just how good you are when you're stepping up to the plate, Mr. So here we go. Which team has never contested a World Series championship? There's a number of them who've never won a World Series championship, but only one has never contested one. Yeah. Um, let's see. Until last year, was there two? The national, the Washington Nationals might have been one or two. I'm not sure about that. I have a terrible feeling it might be your favourite team. Is it? Is it the Seattle Mariners? Well done. You can see, listeners, why Dave Ince is indeed the quiz master and, and the, there's no fooling our wily veteran pitcher on the Highland bullpen. Yeah, spot on. So, well done. We'll have to recruit Alan and, and Dave Jr. and see if we can catch Mr Ince out in the future. That's a good question. A very good question. Just on that note, Richard, uh, sorry to throw this one off the cuff and I'm not trying to do Dave out of a job, but could we not even have a little segment each week where... If any of our listeners send a question in to try and gazump him, 
um, or any of us. I think that'd be quite cool if anyone out there feels that they've, they've got some good baseball trivia up their sleeve uh, and try to try to get one over on on Dave or on, or on the team. I think that's a terrific idea. So, yeah, absolutely get in touch. Remember, you can follow us on social, the usual social media channels. You'll, you'll hear a bit more about that later in the show. Highlandbullpen at gmail.com is the email address to use. And, of course, just make sure that you subscribe, you follow, you keep listening to the Highland Bullpen on all the major podcast channels, wherever you get it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and within the next week, we will be on Spotify to complete our own personal cycle or our own personal Grand Slam. We'll be on the Grand Slam of Podcast Networks, so so don't miss us. And yeah, if you can strike out, Dave Ince, if you can beat the bros, please do, do send it in. Thanks for joining us on the Highland Bullpen. We're also featuring on all the usual social media channels. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for the Highland Bullpen. On Twitter, our handle is at H-B-U-L-L-P-E-N, at H-Bullpen. At Instagram, it's Highland underscore Bullpen. And Facebook is quite simply the Highland Bullpen. We've also got our email address, highlandbullpen at gmail.com. We really appreciate those of you who've got in touch, asking questions, We are here to learn ourselves and we're here to help you guys learn as well. So feel free to contact us and follow us on any of those channels. Great stuff, Alan. And thanks again for stepping in at short notice to be my co-host on this episode. On behalf of Alan, on behalf of both Daves and on behalf of Hamish, keep listening and we'll see you soon for the next episode of The Highland Bullpen. (laughs) 